Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. And today on the program, I'm joined by Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis. We are entering into the wonderful ordinary time, aren't we, huh? (laughs) So uh, welcome, fathers. Thank you, Tom. Good to be here. But it's never ordinary when the two of you are in the house. So there we go. Did you like that, folks? Very very nice. Liturgical humor right on display (laughs) right there. Well, today on the program, we're going to go to a section in the Catechism on the mysteries of Jesus's public life. And we're going to do so because of the first section, which talks about the baptism of Jesus. And then if we have time, we'll move into the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Lots of great conversation to have today on the program. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Father Nagel is going to open the program with a scripture reading and a prayer. This is from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. It happened in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. On coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, You are my beloved Son, with, with you I am well pleased. So, Lord, we do ask your blessings upon us that uh, as the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the Jordan, so it might descend upon us today as well. Uh, anoint us who are going to be doing this program and, and those who are going to be listening And if the Holy Spirit guide us and strengthen us and grace us, we ask this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Um, One of the things that um, Carrie and I do as we enter into the new year is we do a um, discernment process. We discern, God, what are you resolved to do in our lives in this year? Not what are we resolved to do and, you know, God bless our plans, right, all these New Year's resolutions. But God, what are you resolved to do? And we synthesize that down into discerning a word, a scripture, a phrase, um, or a particular word. And, um, and that becomes meaningful for us as we pray through that word in the course of the year. And then combined with that, we also will seek out a saint for the year. And so who is the saint given to me from heaven, assigned to me in this year, to accompany me? through a particular uh, nearness of intercession and a seeking out a special like favor of intercession from that saint. Uh, fathers, do you do anything like that? Is, is there any way that you approach the, uh, the new year um, as, a, um, as a time to um, refocus or to enter something new? Father Lewis. I like to think I'd do something similar, but but the new liturgical year, so I stick with some, something that I take on or, or that I want to kind of work on uh, to start the season of Advent and let that continue. So 
not so specific as a, a word or a scripture passage. Well, I like that idea and adopting a patron saint for the year. Although I have heard of other families that do this as well, and they'll you know they'll they'll have a the the family litany of the saints for that year, you know, written on the on a whiteboard on the fridge or something, and and um, the parents will you know you know at least the idea is that they they check in with the, the kids um, once a week or something how things are going and are you praying to your saints and so on and I like that idea very much. I don't do that much detail, and I, I tend to start it at Advent. A true liturgical man right there. Yes, good job, Father. Father Nagel. Well, I think I'm probably worse than both of you. So um, <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I'm, I lean more towards Father Lewis in the sense of I do, uh, with spiritual direction, thing, look at Advent and see what's going to happen there. Um, I, I've never, even before I was the seminary things, I never really did the New Year's resolution. And of course, Tom, you're doing liturgically, I mean, theologically correct idea of, of, of what God is resolved to do in our lives. But to be honest, I, I really don't. I mean, I, I wish I could help you a little bit more with this project to start the hour off, but it, that, that's just never been part of my, I don't really look at New Year's too much. And, and I just, you know, in fact, on New Year's Eve, I try to go to bed and get to sleep before the firecrackers go off. So I just don't even deal with New Year's. So I, I celebrate mass on uh, January 1st, but... <laughs> That's funny. I actually, uh, I was sleeping at midnight, and all of a oh, sudden yeah. the, oh, yeah. the fireworks went up. That's how old I am. <laughs> yeah, that's a sad sign when I'm, I'm sleeping at midnight. And the Nine o'clock is the up. new midnight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Father Lewis, you experienced something that was mm-hmm. um, troubling, um, a bit scary. Do uh, you want to share anything about what uh, happened to you recently? Well, nothing happened to me, thanks be to God. But um, I was finishing up my day in the office, and my retired priest in residence, Father Mike at St. Mary's, uh, he hears confessions Wednesday afternoons. And um, and I'm done at about 5.30, closing up my office and everything, and that's when confessions are done. And I hear six or seven loud pops outside, and I didn't think anything of it at all. Literally what I thought was someone is firing off fireworks because they're celebrating for some strange reason, you know. <laughs> this is, And then I step outside, and I see, you know, police cars by the dozen screaming down the across the main road and then turning onto our arterial, and I'm thinking, now, I think those were gunshots. And sure enough, they were. They were gunshots. And I go around the church, not on our church property, but directly across the street, on the side street, not even a major arterial. It's a one-and-a-half wide lane, wide road, a very very narrow side street. And we have apartment buildings there, and there's already five or six cops standing around what I guess was the, the body of the person who was shot. And um, anyway, so I'm looking at this. I'm just taking it in by pure shock. I don't know what to do. I've, I've anointed people dying. I've been at funerals, of course, celebrate funerals, but I've never... I've never, I've never seen, you know, this is no longer, te- this is not television or Fortnite. This actual person was actually shot. And uh, so it was just kind of a shock. And then I, then I realized I need to start getting the word out. People are going to hear about this. So I started the phone tree thing, talked to my parish secretary to send out a flock note to say what happened, and my school principal to let the school side know. And I called my bishop to let him know. And I'm panicking because I couldn't get a hold of Father Mike. So I'm wondering if it's him. And uh, and then I got a hold of him, and it wasn't him, but he had heard it too. He had just closed up the church and was a minute later in his rectory, and uh, in the rectory, and uh, and that's when it happened. So I found out this morning, thanks be to God, that uh, or late last night rather, that the victim was shot only three times, seven shots and three hits, and and uh, alive in critical condition. 
I don't have a name yet, but uh, we can all pray for that, that person's recovery. And they still haven't caught the, the suspect yet. Apparently, it was some kind of drive-by. But it's just shocking and very, um, on top of everything else, like, you know, th- this is happening. And now, like, literally across the street from here. This isn't some 3,000-mile, you know, city or anything like that. It's it's becoming extremely personal. Yeah, yeah it's uh, just hearing about something like that, um, it... It, it it's like wait a minute this is coming closer right and in some ways that is a um, it's a kind of a theme things have are coming closer to our lives than we had maybe ever expected um well what's coming next well you know you had something skirt close to your life and the great sadness is there were some people who lived their lives with that as a daily reality mm-hmm. you know i think about it's sort of probably the most famous place in the United States where this is happening on a regular basis. We'd all probably say immediately Chicago. Mm-hmm. You hear about how many people were shot, how many people were killed in a particular weekend. And and that's not happening in the affluent parts of the city. You know, it's happening where there's gangs and poverty and bro- uh, just a breakdown of the family. And you see what it gives rise to. And it's like, wow, we shouldn't just take for granted... The reality of stability, openness, freedom, the decency and goodness of people, all of a sudden these things start to erode uh, right in front of us. And it can really make us have to stop and, and think again, wait a minute, who am I? How am I going to live in the face of this? And what ought I to do? Uh, so it's a very striking thing. Mm-hmm. Father Nagel, any comments? I, I have not. You know, I've never experienced something like that. I, I haven't been that close to violence, uh, violent act. Um, I'm, I, was, I was thinking back as you were telling your story, I was thinking, hey, what, what's my closest equivalent of that? And I, I really can't come up with anything um, at all. How so. about Father Nagel? How about when you, you were like, you were at, I don't know, you call it the epicenter or ground zero for sure. the COVID virus. Yeah, right? but that's This was not... when it wasn't known. Like, right. You didn't really know what to expect. And all of a sudden you had gone into the, um, the nursing home where there were some sick people. True. Um, I was thinking more along the lines of violence, so like the gunshots and the and, and that sort of stuff. I that that it's that's in, that's personal and and uh, human intention uh, of evil. That I, it's true that uh, certainly me and probably lots of other priests actually have gone into. Um, Sick beds where there's COVID, and you know, like the nurses and stuff. We we've anointed and we've done that, um, and so in that sense, I've tasted the craziness of 2020 now 2021. In terms of the COVID, we think this is, and we sort of assume that the whole thing is going to get better, but who knows? Um, that's a little sunshine that's directed your say, way. Thanks for joining yeah. us today, Father Nagel. Appreciate the the light and air. But I seriously, you know, again, um, I, I think that we're living in those times. Yes. Well, today on the program, uh, oh, just a, a little side note. Um, shortly after that, Father, uh, Kerry was down there trying to get into the Adoration Chapel, <laughs> and it was all blocked off. It yeah. was all taped up everywhere and all of that, and um, and so she asked the police, can I get in? They would. They say, you can't get around. She's just gonna, trying to go around the church and find her way in, but... Um, it was she was she was the one who alerted me to it. She said something happened down here. Can you better text Father Lewis? Mm-hmm. So then we got your message uh, after that. No, okay, so Father Father Lewis is okay. So, well, today in the program um, we're going to talk about what's called the mysteries of Jesus's public life. 
Now, remember, a mystery isn't something that's unknown, that becomes known, and then once it's known, the mystery disappears. Theologically, a mystery is something that is so big, it's bigger than our capacity to fully, finally comprehend it. And in fact, the more deeply we comprehend it, the more we come to realize that there is that much more that we don't comprehend. So that's a theological mystery. So that's the profound reality of Jesus' public life or any event, significant event in the life of Jesus, has a quality of a mystery, has a quality of something that is, uh, it has a depth to it, a profundity to it that is inexhaustible. And so we're going to be exploring the baptism of Jesus today. And then again, if there's time, we'll take a look at the proclamation of the kingdom. Did you notice how I didn't promise that no. we're going to get to the... To, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm getting a little bit of humility. In, it is a new year. Yes, it is. <laughs> is that right, your so word? Is that your word for the year? My word for the year is not humility. Oh, okay. I've, I've been down that trail, and I already conquered that, so now I'm going to something else. All right. So, uh, my, my word pride, for the year is... Pride, is that it? Is it pride? <laughs> yes. Yes, it's a condescension. Yes, there it is. No, my word for the year is witness. Mm. Is witness. And so... Uh, okay, let's start with, uh, we're going to be looking at the, uh, the Catechism, beginning paragraph 535, which is titled The Baptism of Jesus. Jesus' public life begins with his baptism by John in the Jordan. John preaches a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A crowd of sinners, tax collectors and soldiers, Pharisees and Sadducees and prostitutes come to be baptized by him. Then Jesus appears. The Baptist hesitates, but Jesus insists and receives baptism. Then the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, comes upon Jesus, and a voice from heaven proclaims, This is my beloved Son. This is the manifestation, epiphany of Jesus as Messiah of Israel and Son of God. Father Daigle. You know, that last, um, the last sentence of that paragraph, this is the epiphany of Jesus as Messiah of Israel and Son of God. You know, we in the West tend to think of the epiphany as the, the Magi, the, the wise men coming. Although even in our tradition, uh, the epiphany, uh, if, you, if you are praying the Liturgy of the Hours, the antiphons for the, the major hours of the epiphany, we all talk about not only the wise men, but also the baptism and also the uh, miracle of Cana. As being so when when Jesus is manifested uh, as uh, again the Son of God, this this Messiah. But I think so. I think there's there's something to be said for that in terms of uh, an openness to say uh, to, to think about. I, I'm not sure. Well, sometimes it's a theme certainly in terms of the idea that this is Jesus showing himself uh, uh, for who he is. But I, I was thinking just there's there's so there's that. I think that's just a little interesting liturgical and theological fact uh, that, that most of us in the Catholic Church in, in the West don't really register very well, that what we celebrated yesterday is also part of the epiphany experience, so to speak. Um, I do think that the very idea of starting a public life, um, I, I, I'm always interested in actually in what came before, you know, the, the private life, the hidden life of Christ, and then to come onto the stage, uh, then Jesus appears kind of like the curtain goes up, you know, the spotlight comes down. I, I, I doubt that happened, you know, at the moment, but maybe. Uh, did, did, did people part? Who was this guy who's coming up, and why does John look at him that way, and, and how are they talking? So I, I do think this idea of what does it mean now to go on the stage? Um, because he'll never go back now. 
Uh, once this happens, he, you know, he'll go off into the desert uh, for 40 days, etc. But now his, his whole life has changed. Um, he, he, and so, again, for, that's a fascinating thing for me, that, that, um, that he now takes the stage. So, if, again, I, just kind of a rambling thought, but it, it, it is something that I think about in terms of the before and the after. For, for part of it may be from just my experience of being a priest, um, my ordination. There was a huge change in how I interacted with the church. Uh, before then, I was somebody who just came in, sat in the pews. People looked at me, but I was just another guy. Um, and, again, there's, there's a different experience. Once I was ordained, I couldn't go back uh, in the sense of the, I had this whole new role that, that affected everything I did around the church uh, and for the church and the people, uh, people of God. And I, so I just kind of know, I, I, I guess I sort of equate, you know, some sort of uh, minuscule way, um, the idea of my priest, beginning my priest, uh, the ordination and the beginning of my ministry as this kind of public ministry. And I, so I, I think of that in, in terms of what Jesus is going through of my life's not going to be the cha- same anymore. This is, this is, I relate differently now. And so again, I kind of take that in on the, the baptism of the Lord. So um, I'm going to have to have you hold a moment, uh, Father Lewis, and then we'll have you um, give your comments as well. We're up against our first break. When we come back, we're going to continue to reflect on the baptism of Jesus. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel, and we're looking at the Catechism of the Catholic Church on the baptism of Jesus, the mysteries of his public life. And uh, Father Nagel had just offered his comments on paragraph 535. If you have a catechism, you can follow along. And, and now, Father Lewis, what about you? What do you see in this? Well, I, I was also struck by that, that middle phrase. In fact, looking at the text, it's set apart by quotes, then Jesus appears. Father Nagel commented on that as well. And that struck me because much the same reason, like you had this, and then something happened, and now we have that. And that something is Jesus. The Jesus encounter, when you recognize it as the Jesus encounter, it's a great epiphany for the the, you know, the individual um, you know, when you have that individual you know, personal encounter, and and there's like two options before you. You can you can go with it. You can recognize that you've had this encounter. Life has changed forever and changed for the better because this is Jesus. Or you can pretend to try to just go along as if nothing happened and try to live life as normal because oh, this is this is too hard. Who can take it? And then you go back to your former way of life, like John chapter six verse sixty six. And so uh, it's a hinge point that is undeniably present and commands a response. Then Jesus appears. And we notice, you know, John's baptism is a baptism for the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And okay, well, that's so strange about that. That's what our baptism does. But then Jesus appears and gives it a whole lot more, just like he would do at, the, at, the other, at another great epiphany moment, the wedding feast at Cana. Well, Okay, so Jesus was at a, mar- a wedding feast. What's so big to be able to have? We've had weddings. Well, then Jesus appeared, 
and he took what was there and made it greater. And so now uh, baptism not only forgives uh, sins, which it does, and that's and glory be to God, but uh, it initiates us into the family of the church and singles us out as us too, a beloved child of God, as Jesus was declared a beloved son of God by the Father. And does all these things, and Jesus condescending and going into the waters, you know, is opening up for us the heavens that have been closed when God the Father, you know, rips them open and the dove descends, and those heavens that have been closed by Adam's sin are now opened again by Christ's uh, obedience and his uh, active humility. And all that because at hinge point, then Jesus appears. So, you know, it's um, uh, one thing I'll bring out, and it, it's something that wasn't said here in the text, but it has to do with a message that John the Baptist spoke to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And when they came out, because it mentions this whole list of, of folks who come out, tax collectors, soldiers, Pharisees, prostitutes, etc. He confronted the Pharisees and Sadducees. They, and they don't distinguish that in the text. But a, a priest friend of mine, he brought out, <coughs> excuse me, something that one of the Gospels says about the message to the Pharisees and Sadducees. It says that God's plan in their regard was thwarted. Not a powerful word, thwarted. <laughs> God's plan in their regard was thwarted. And it was thwarted because of their unwillingness to recognize themselves as sinners and to repent and to seek forgiveness for their sins. They remained somehow religiously superior, proud, condescending, arrogant, unteachable, and as a result of that, God's plan in their regard was thwarted. And I hold on to that in my life quite a bit. I, I try to recall that to my mind, that it's not a guarantee that God's plan is done in my life, is done in my marriage, is done in my family, is done in my uh, parish, is done in the church community today, is done in the world. It's not guaranteed but it requires our recognition and our response, our discernment and our obedience, our repentance and our belief. And so um, for me, the, the, this whole like re recalling of the mystery of the baptism of Jesus has an awful lot to do with clearing the path, showing the way, and then living out in us the way in order that God's plan for our regard will be fulfilled rather than thwarted. So that, that's sort of what jumped out at me when I, when I saw this whole list was the, the lack of distinguishing between those who stepped forward with repentance and received forgiveness and those who stepped forward maybe to like sneer at or let me check it out, but at a safe distance. Or I'll think about it, but it has to be on my terms, right? Yeah. All the things that we do to try to avoid facing facts and repenting. Yeah. So uh, that's my thought. Okay, let's continue on. The baptism of Jesus uh, is, is outlined, is unfolded in paragraph 536. Now, in the outlines I shared with Father Nagel and Father Lewis, there are listed 11 points that's not the way it appears in the catechism. It's just a paragraph. But I broke it out like this to highlight the concept of mystery, that you think it's pretty straightforward. Oh, Jesus is baptized. But then the meaning of it, like the, the unfolding 
facets of this gem, the, the depth dimension, the, the incomprehensibility of the mystery of the baptism of Jesus is, I think, beautifully highlighted in this one paragraph when it outlines 11 facets 11 entry points to reflect on the baptism of Jesus. And even that's not exhaustive. So I'm going to read this, and I'll read through the 11. But then, uh, fathers, I'll let you just, like, you could start at the top. You can pick one that jumps out at you. And we can just kind of st- kind of work with these points as long as it makes sense. Okay? So paragraph 536 says this. The baptism of Jesus is, on his part, the acceptance and inauguration of his mission as God's suffering servant. He allows himself to be numbered among sinners. He is already the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Already he is anticipating the baptism of his bloody death. Already he is coming to fulfill all righteousness. That is, he is submitting himself entirely to his Father's will. Out of love, he consents to this baptism of death for the remission of our sins. The Father's voice responds to the Son's acceptance, proclaiming his entire delight in his Son. The Spirit, whom Jesus possessed in fullness from his conception, comes to rest on him. Jesus will be the source of the Spirit for all mankind. At his baptism, the heavens were opened, the heavens that Adam's sin had closed, and the waters were sanctified by the descent of Jesus and the Spirit a prelude to the new creation. Father Lewis. Well, two things. The first that immediately stood out to me was the last point, mostly because when, you know, you can ask the kids questions, well, Jesus is sinless, Jesus is perfect, so why would he get baptized? And, you know, if they kind of get it in their sacramental prep, they might, well, he, he did that to bless the waters for all of us. And that's, but then you look at these other 10 and like, well, yeah, that's the great, that's great, and there's a whole lot more. And so the second thing that stood out to me is, I like number two uh, on the list. He allows himself to be numbered, numbered among sinners, because it's sinners who need to be baptized. And Jesus condescended to be even closer to sinners. And it just made me think that, you know, Jesus's life is is like steps down from the glory that he had in heaven to the bottom of the step, which is his descent into hell, as we as we say in the Apostles' Creed. You know, just him coming from heaven to earth at the Incarnation is quite a condescension, uh, quite a, 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 a allowing himself to be to be lowered and humbled, and then it and then it goes from there. He allows himself to submit to human parents, and then he allows himself to be baptized, and he allows himself. This, that, and the other thing. He allows himself to have body aches and headaches because he's camping around with 12 guys for three years. All these things to the point that he allows himself to be judged. You know, he himself is the judge, but he allows himself to be judged, and so on through the passion. And so it just keeps going down and down and down because that is the depth of God's love for us, that he'd go down to the, to the deepest depths of, of our misery and then the ascension. Then he starts rising what, for, for what? To, to invite us to come along with him. And, you know, that comment you made about our stubbornness, our sin can thwart God's plan and God's will. You know, Jesus is opening these doors and wants to pull us out and, and bring us along with him. We can thwart all of that if we just say, no, I'm right here in the mire. I'm fine right here in the mire. But nonetheless, you know, Jesus condescends that far and then to, rise, to help us to rise again to, to where he wants us to be. Father Nagel. And, and I, I, I had number two also sort of 
checked off as a possible first comment because I pretty much what what Father Lewis said better than I probably would have. But I so I, I guess sort of going from that 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 whole dissension condescension. Uh, number eight is the idea of oh, excuse me number ten. At his baptism, the heavens were opened, and in Mark's, they were torn open, the heavens that Adam's sin had closed. And I think that's a, a, a wonderful image there. The idea of, it's not just that the, the Holy Spirit's going to come down, but the idea of heaven as being something that has to be, you know, one. It's something that has to be um, really salted, that, the, the blockage, the, the obstacle, whatever it is. So I thought that, little, that one little sentence there, um, gave a new kind of twist for me in terms of the, the baptism of the Lord. The, the tearing of the temple veil is, you know, is, there's, there's something similar there in, in some ways um, that, that I hadn't picked up on before. But it, it, again, it's not just let the, the, the spirit out, but it's also let us in. So a couple of um, other ones that, I, that jumped out at me. The one that I, I think that I'm most attracted to is number seven in this list of 11 points. It says, the father's voice responds to the son's acceptance, proclaiming his entire delight in his son. For me, it, it, that's all. It's, like it's very trinitarian, right? And it's if you want to talk about a manifestation or a revelation or a disclosure, do you want to know what happens within the Trinity itself? Do you want to have a little glimpse, even though it's beyond our comprehension forever and ever? It's just how much the father delights in the son. And for me, I, I go back to that as a place of consolation in my own relationship with God, is that to remember, and we're going to get into this in the next paragraph, 537 is all about our call to enter into this mystery. But just to pause here and say, um, to be able to realize that within the Trinity is delight. And delight, Aquinas says, is the best word to... Um, express the meaning of caritas, of love. What is love? It's delighting in each other. And and I just, for me, that is so meaningful. And then the second is number six, um, where it says, out of love, Jesus consents to this baptism of death for the remission of our sins. He is not a victim. He consents. He agrees. He is committed even though he, at the very beginning of his mission and ministry, is expressing the realization that he is going to be completely immersed, plunged into the reality of death. He says yes to it. And again, for me, it's all about, am I going to do that too? Second round around. Anything you want to go into any, about these uh, quotes, uh, Father? Or we can move on. Uh, anything else about the 11 that you'd want to bring out? Father Lewis. Um, no, I'm I'm good. I think um, that's that's all that I that's all the mystery I can handle at this point. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Well, then we'll uh, Father Father Nagel. Anything you'd want to say about let's, any of these other forward, points? Let's go forward. Let's forward to the kingdom. I, I like it. We're gonna we're pressing on to the kingdom. I like that. Okay, so paragraph five thirty seven is expressive of our call. That how is the the baptism of Jesus connected to our lives? And again, some powerful ex- uh, extended um, uh, meaningful quotes here. So. I will enjoy this, and Father Nagel, you go first this time. Through baptism, the Christian is sacramentally assimilated to Jesus, who in his own baptism anticipates Jesus' death and resurrection. 
The Christian must enter into this mystery of humble self-abasement and repentance, go down into the water with Jesus in order to rise with him, be reborn of water in the Spirit, so as to become the Father's beloved Son in the Son and walk in newness of life. Let us be buried with Christ by baptism to rise with him. Let us go down with him to be raised with him. Let us rise with him to be glorified with him. Everything that happened to Christ lets us know that after the bath of water, the Holy Spirit swoops down upon us from high heaven, and that, adopted by the Father's voice, we become sons of God. I, I, what really jumped out at me is the verb swoops, um, the idea of the action of the Holy Spirit. I, if, I would, if I was going to stay back on 536 and talk about another one, I would have talked about five, 7 and 8, the Holy Spirit's role in all of this. Um, that, that, that idea that, and I, I see this kind of, um, I, I guess it's, I'm going back to Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, and the eagles coming to swoop down to get Frodo and, and Sam from the, the volcano, if those of you have know the, the, that story. But they're, they've made the ultimate sacrifice and thrown the ring, and well, the ring got tossed into the, the volcano, and they're waiting on this little island of rock to be swallowed up by the lava. And then this, these eagles come and swoop down, and they save him. They save him and take him up into the sky. Um, and I was, you know, again, that's you know, a made-up fantasy story. But that, that idea of being saved by the Holy Spirit um, in, 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 in it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not the dove action. It's something that is just the Holy Spirit swooping. Doves don't swoop. Um, this is something, this is a powerful bird that's coming down to, to just grab us with its talons and, and take us to heaven. And I, I, again, that idea of baptism is, you know, we, we participate in that whole process of going down um, into the waters and, and being lifted up and taken to heaven. So I, I do think the idea of that powerful um, action of the Holy Spirit on us is important, that we actually become sons of God, beloved sons of God, in whom the Father's well pleased. That's beautiful. Father Lewis, I'm sorry, I'm going to cut you off again. We're up against a break. Father Nagel just I talked too long. <laughs> I, you know, he just bumps up against the deadline. He's like, I'm going to fill out every last second here. All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, Father Lewis is going to share about paragraph 537. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. Just before the break, Father Nagel had shared on paragraph 537, which talks about our assimilation to Christ sacramentally in baptism with his baptism. And so, Father Lewis, why don't you pick up and share what uh, struck you about this passage? Well, you, you uh, uh, said the word I was focusing in on, assimilation. We are sacramentally assimilated. There's your $5 phrase for the day. That's a lot of syllables, but I made it through. Sacramentally assimilated to Jesus and what... What, the image that kind of came to my mind is an image that Jesus himself gives, that I am the vine, you are the branches. We are, by baptism, we are grafted on to this vine and grafted on the, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a new branch on this vine. You know, now we are in a position to bear fruit and because we are drawing new life now from this vine to which we are grafted, and that life is going to result in some fruit being born from us. And because of that, I like the next sentence, the Christian must enter into this mystery of humble self-abasement and repentance. And I think that a lot of people will look at the word must and and maybe must, you know, just uh, causes a, a reaction of like, oh, no, because it, it implies this idea of like, you know, our freedom is being restricted. And we Americans, we love our freedom. 
So the Christian must know, how dare you? You don't tell me what I must do. I tell you what I do. But it's not that. I don't think the connotation is that at all. It's simply stating what must happen because of the nature of the thing. The nature of the Christian is to be Christ-like. That's the name. That's what the name means. We are, we are little Christs. We are we are Christ-like now. If I have gas in my car and my car engine is on and I put the gear into drive, the car must go forward. The conditions are met, and that's all that the car can do. That's the nature of the car in that condition. And so the Christian must enter this to be a true Christian. We must enter into this mystery because that is just the nature of what it means to be a Christian. And other, you know, and then what follows from there, you know, it's a uh, you know, we, you know, we're entering into an age. I think we commented in past uh, shows that um, we, you know, we're, we're not in a Christendom era anymore. We got to be deliberate in our faith, and the line is in the sand. And if we are truly Christian, then this idea of a of a you know buffet Catholicism is is out the door. We've got to be truly Catholic Christian, and a true Catholic Christian believes thus and so, and lives thus and so, and professes thus and so. That is the nature of the true Christian. And so those two words really struck out, and I see them as related. So I would say this passage, this paragraph, 537, is one that highlights the distinction between Catholics and at least some other streams of Christianity. And it um, has to do with the way that um, my son, John Mark, is in, um, he's in a classical Christian school. And so when they talk about redemption— um, he bumps up against students who have differing approaches. And for some of them, Jesus not only died in our place, but he died so that we wouldn't have to. And so there's a kind of skipping of, the, of, the, of this idea of assimilation. You don't actually have to go down with Christ into, the, into death. You don't go through death, through hell, in order to come up to the resurrection. No, you get to kind of somehow jump over everything into that newness of life that is um, yours through the proclamation of faith. And it's a really interesting thing because um, our, our approach as Catholics is, no, no, you, self-abasement, repentance, go down into the water. You are immersed into the passion and death of Christ. You are connected um, uh, as St. Paul says in um, in Colossians, you are conformed to him in his death in order to be conformed in his resurrection. So that the reality of suffering is something that is very um, close to the heart of Catholicism because it's being close to the heart of the suffering Christ. So for me, that's something that just jumped out at me. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, it's... You know, this is this passage is extraordinarily biblical in that sense, and and that other thought is, is not. Like you're saying, you know, St. Paul also says, for me, Christ is life. Life is Christ. Death is gain. You know, it's not that because Christ did this, we don't have to. This is not this is not Christ without the cross. It's because Christ did this that we can we can do it too, and we we can persevere. And um and uh and and everything has a, has a redemptive aspect to it now. Now death is not the end, and death is not the fi- does not get the final say. And 
that kind of theology of the death and suffering, I mean, we've worked right into our liturgy, the, the preface for the funeral mass. Now, the life is changed, not ended, is what we, you know, we, we talk about in the funeral liturgy. Well, we have crucifixes in our churches, right. and they have crosses, because Christ is no longer on the cross. He's resurrected, and that's where we stand, right? Uh, that, that's sort of the, the idea, uh, one symbolic way of, of identifying it. Father Nagel, any comments? No, it's a, but it's an interesting observation, I think, for you uh, to make, Tom, that um, and, and that idea of assimilation, I do think, is so is so central to our spirituality in terms even of our prayer life and, and what it means to be our, seeking for sanctification and things. So I, I, I do think there's a, a, a major distinction here, even among our Christian brothers, who, who, as you say, your son's going to a great school, I'm sure, and yet there's still these uh, really important points that we have to hold on to. Yes. Uh, my daughters, uh, little daughters, they came back from one of their catechism classes um, with uh, something they made in the class called sacrifice beads. Right? Didn't we talk about that? Did I show you those sacrifice beads? No, I didn't. Okay. I'm looking at Father Lewis. Father Nichols like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's just like a, a set of 10 beads. And I'm like, oh, is this a rosary? And they said, no, Dad, it's sacrifice beads. I'm like, oh, yeah, sacrifice beads. What is that? And it's um, at one end is, uh, is a cross. And then there are these 10 beads, and as you, you keep it in your pocket, and over the course of your day, when you make an act of, that is, requires of you a sacrifice, you move a bead forward. You move towards the cross. Oh, and wow. so the goal every day is you'll have this awareness that every day you're going to be drawing close to the cross, and every day you're going to have opportunities to make a little sacrifice, just a little sacrifice that's going to push you a little closer to the cross every day, 10 sacrifices. How cool is that? That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Does she right. like to do that? Um, well, she's 10. She's, she likes the beads. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what? It's a very sacramental, yeah. right? Very yeah. sacramental, reminding you what should you expect, sure. what should you strive for, right? Yeah. All of that. Yeah. So, all right. We're, we're going to take a we'll, we'll pause here, take a break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about the kingdom of God is at hand, the next section in the catechism. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. All right, so we're now, uh, we did make it. We made it that the kingdom of God is not we, only we at al- hand. At least ma- we at least made it to the beach so far. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And now we're going to scramble up the beach. All right. So, heck, actually, I'll uh, divert us. Um, do you remember Dante's Purgatorio? Mm-hmm. I do. Okay, so when he leaves hell, he leaves the inferno, he kind of, he finds himself like, on a beach, kind of washing up on shore with these others, yeah. kind of, I think it's, he's going out of a boat, uh, he finds himself on the shore, and they're scrambling up the beach, mm-hmm. but it's like molasses. They are, like, dragging themselves, and they're trying to run, but they can't move forward, because when they start purgatory, they're going really, really slow, and then the longer they stay, the faster they go. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of like us on Sound Insight. So <laughs> Sound Insight is kind of like a purgatory. There we go. Very true. At least we've escaped hell, though. Very okay? true. All right. And I think we're back to you, Father Lewis, uh, going first. Paragraph 541 says this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. To carry out the will of the Father, Christ inaugurated the kingdom of heaven on earth. Now the Father's will is to raise up men to share in his own divine life. He does this by gathering men around his Son, Jesus Christ. 
This gathering is the church, on earth the seed and beginning of that kingdom. So I think that uh, scripture quote is um, is uh, what Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, and it's the first thing that Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark is that phrase. And you know, I think a lot of folks, you know, we're fascinated by the last words that someone says. And um, interesting too, you know, my brother and I like to have conversations sometimes about like you know the great first lines of great class, you know, works of of classic literature. Like call me Ishmael from um, uh, from Moby Dick and so on, and and so first lines are important too because it sets the tone for what follows. And so, if Jesus's first recorded words in the Gospel according to Saint Mark is the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's like a summary of of the gospel mission just right there. The time is fulfilled. The time of what preparation and all the lead up and the prelude to the now. The then then Jesus appears. So there's that again. And the kingdom of God is at hand, at hand, present and yet not fully, because Jesus is here to establish the kingdom, yet the kingdom of God is already there in him. And then what do we need to do in response to this? It's easy. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's a great phrase and it's a, you know, it's it's the it's you know, if this were merely a work of of uh of, of classic literature, the Gospel of Mark, um, that'd be a great opening line, just like the rest of them. And fortunately, it's not merely that, but um, but the Gospel. And um, and you know, so and it's one of the things I really uh, really appreciate. One of the main things I really appreciate about the 2011 update to the Roman Missal is that it's we have two phrases now when applying the ashes, and this is one of them: repent and believe in the Gospel. And so that's the option I use. One, it's shorter than the other one. And two, it's very scriptural and it's very to the point of what, you know, what this is about. You know, when I, th- I think of the kingdom, uh, just from this quote, the idea of inaugurating the kingdom of heaven on earth and the idea of gathering uh, people around him. I, I think this in terms of the mission of a parish, uh, of my parish, um, any parish really, but you know, in terms of for me, um, the idea is uh, really to embody the kingdom of, of kingdom of God here. That people would come to our parish or experience our parish as embodiment of, of charity, of forgiveness, of piety, of the virtues. You know, these sort of things that that there would it would be heaven writ small in some ways. Obviously, it's, it's a work in progress, and is is we often fail at that. But I do think that there's that sense of the mission of what we're supposed to do is to follow through on this proclamation that it begins here on earth, uh, the, the kingdom of, of God. And again, the, 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 this community, which is a little piece of what um, this gathering in that Jesus talks about, is we're part of it. And, and that's, that's what we're supposed to be. That's who we're, not just who, but it's what we're supposed to be. Um, we are, again, enfleshment of the kingdom of heaven. So, I mean, for me, again, that, it's a good reminder of, uh, does my parish actually look like that? Is that what people experience uh, among us, that they, they can somehow find uh, what, what human beings are supposed to be uh, at, at where we worship? So it's, it's challenging, but that's what I would take from here. I, this passage, uh, whoever wrote this section of the catechism, they they kind of like doing what um, we did in that paragraph 536, kind of laying out all those points. It's kind of like a machine gun of points, but each of them is so profound. Um, I had the, the wonderful blessing um, when I was studying at the Gregorian uh, in the seminary. I had an entire class on that one line. 
the the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. Wow. It was an entire graduate school course it was on the central message of Jesus. And so we explored each of the concepts of the kingdom of God, repent, believe, the gospel. It was amazing. It was an amazing uh, class. So you, you think, oh, we've well, heard all these words before, but to realize the depth of the meaning of them, it, it, there's far more than we imagine. And so the one thing that I would bring out of this is the, um, the expectation that there's a breaking in of God's kingdom into the right now moment of our lives. That that just didn't happen 2,000 years ago, but that you who are listening right now in your today, if you have an awareness, an alertness, if you have an expectation, if you even are asking, seeking, and knocking, you can have a sensitivity to the inbreaking kingdom of God into your life, into your right now, and you can ask for it. I really encourage that, especially if you're feeling troubled, if you're feeling like there's a flatness to your relationship with the Lord, like it's just sort of marked by doing certain duties, saying you believe certain things, and, and, and enacting certain rituals. No, there's a living quality. There's, there's a relational quality that says, get ready to be surprised by how the Lord will break in, by how the Lord will speak into your life. Uh, one little comment on that was, um, and that can happen in, in surprising ways. Um, I got a text message this morning from my uh, oldest daughter, Mary Grace. And she said, Dad, I was praying the rosary for you and today, and God spoke to me. This is what God said. And so she shared her best sense of what the Lord was saying to her about what God wanted to do in my life and in my family's life um, and what he was, the work that he was doing. And she was, he was sharing it through my daughter, Mary Grace. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, um, so we have time, I think, for one more verse, uh, one more, uh, one more uh, paragraph, sorry. Um, so why don't we take a look at paragraph 542. Christ stands at the heart of this gathering of men into the family of God. By his word, through signs that manifest the reign of God, and by sending out his disciples, Jesus calls all people to come together around him. But above all, in the great Paschal mystery, his death on the cross and his resurrection, he would accomplish the coming of his kingdom. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Into this union with Christ, all men are called. Father Nagel. Family of God. Um, you know, we, we sometimes think of the people of God as a very Vatican II um, sort of phrase for the church. Uh, but I, I like the family of God um, aspect of if we're all supposed to be part, uh, always it is the body of Christ. The, I mean, there's lots of, lots of figures to go into this. But this idea that we're all called to be this, this family of God is something that uh, I think uh, so many people don't have. I think there's lots of people on this earth who have heard about family and how great it is and how good it's supposed to be, but their families really are quite horrible. And, and their families are not what the kingdom of God, there's no breaking in of the kingdom in their family at all. And at least not perceptible from, from them. And I, I, I really do th- hope, I wish that our, again, whether it's our parish or the church or um, the, the, the groupings around Christ that I'm part of could be family in that sense. That there, there is not just an ideal, but a blueprint of what that's supposed to be like. And we're supposed to live that out because we really need that, and especially these days. Um, I think the family's in crisis, and, and so we need to be a family for others because we're the only ones they have. 
What stuck out to me is the paragraph, um, um, you know, going through the various ways that that Christ um, affects his mission by his word, through the signs that manifest the reign of God, by sending out his disciples, Jesus is doing this. But above all, in the great Paschal mystery, and I was thinking of the, you know, an aspect, the the um, the great trilemma of C.S. Lewis. You know, Jesus is is either a, a monster or a maniac or he's Messiah. I think the words he uses are he's a liar, he's the lunatic, or he's Lord. And um, and um, you know, we we can focus so easily on well, Jesus did a great miracle of healing here and the miraculous feeding of the multitudes and all these other things and and uh, you know and, and concern for the poor and and all those are great and all. But Jesus came to die on the cross and to rise from the dead, and the rest of that are the rest of that are secondary to that primary aspect of his mission, related and, and, and intimately so. Uh, but that's not why Jesus came. The, that he did those are great. He came though to die on the cross and to rise from the grave, and uh, and so we can't water down the gospel message. That's the crux of the you know literally the crux of the gospel message. The cross and the rising from the grave that followed the cross. Through the cross to the glory is why Jesus came. So, yeah, above all else, that's how Jesus brings about um, the kingdom of heaven, brings about our redemption and salvation. And everything else besides, you know, is all part of that, but only a part. So we literally have one minute left. So, Father Nagel, I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and, and then you, Father Lewis, 30 seconds to just uh, offer any closing comments you have about uh, the baptism or about these passages. I would just say that um, we are beginning an ordinary time, um, and so let's head off into that kingdom. Let's recognize that, that this isn't ordinary, as Tom said at the beginning. Uh, it's not ordinary because the possibility of experiencing the kingdom of God is at hand, and it's possible for you and me, and that that's what our life's about and why we get up every morning. I'd encourage anyone maybe something to think about doing this year. Look up your baptism date, your anniversary if you don't know it already, in honor of the baptism of the Lord, and make a special celebration of that as each member of the family. <clears throat> uh, one closing word for you good priests, uh, holy priests. Uh, my son John Mark, he was talking about, he said, Dad, it takes miracles, right? Three miracles to, to have someone become a saint. I said, yes. He said, well, why isn't every priest a saint? Because they consecrate bread and it becomes the body and blood of Jesus. He always was my favorite of your children. <laughs> well, maybe there's that you've got to live the standard, right? You have to become oh. who you are. You've got to become the saint, the pre-saint you are, because you are manifesting signs and wonders right in our world every time we go to Mass. I thought that was really beautiful. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, fathers. Uh, please join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.